This is Window on the East, a podcast from BNE IntelliNews. Subscribe at bne.eu. Hello and welcome to Window on the East with me, Ben Aris, the editor of BNE IntelliNews. Looks like it's about to restart. When this came up a few years ago, everyone got very excited. The potential there is enormous. However, obviously it got kiboshed by uh, Trump and the sanctions got put back on again. And now they look like they're going to come off again. And so we've assembled a distinguished panel to, to have a look at both the politics and the process that's going on at the moment. There's been talks ongoing and all the things, the signs uh, are positive, although it's not a done deal yet. And um, we're going to look a little bit at the um, Iranian economy and talk about specifically the political situation at the moment, uh, look at some manufacturing, uh, the oil and gas sector and trade prospects, uh, membership, things like the uh, Eurasian Economic Union. I'm joined today by Daniel, my uh, Daniel Rad, um, who's our um, Iranian correspondent who lives in Tehran many, most of his life, actually, I think. Um, and he's going to manage most of the questions. I'd also say on a um, technical note that we may take questions um, if you use the chat function on Zoom. For those of you who are here online, uh, you can pose your questions there and we'll pick them out and ask them as they come up. And uh, I also highlight, please visit our website, intellinews.com, where we carry stories on this and the whole of the Eurasia region. Um, and at the end, if you go to intellinews.com slash welcome, there you'll find a bunch of links, including a possibility to sign up to our Daily Digest Editor's Picks. And also you can find our YouTube channel where this discussion will be live streamed now as we talk, but a recorded version will be available afterwards if you want to watch it there or send it to your friends. I encourage you to do that. So let's dive in. Daniel, why don't you introduce yourself and the panelists and we can get cracking. Yeah, I'm Daniel Rad. I've been covering Iran for BNE for more than five or six years um, and previously was uh, based out of Tehran for several years. Um, I'm still covering BNE, uh, but uh, uh, but as we, we know, the economic situation of the country has become uh, significantly weaker uh, since 2018 when Donald Trump decided to uh, land new erratic sanctions against the country either out of spite for his predecessor or just because he didn't quite understand the situation. So we're going to look at Iran's economy in, in general, but we're also going to be specifying a few uh, sectors, including oil and gas, uh, local manufacturing, and also the uh, growth in uh, regional interconnectivity, which has been playing a, an increasingly important role in how the country responds to its economic predicament at the moment. Uh, today, you know, uh, ultimately, we are not in the same position as we were in 2015 with the nuclear deal, and many, and many, including foreign investment firms, are more aware of the situation on the ground. Uh, several uh, organisations did uh, invest in the country at the time, and many people had their fingers burnt, not for the investment in the country, but due to the uh, economic situation and political situation from Trumpian sanctions. Moreover, in recent years, Iran has become increasingly connected with countries in Central and West Asia, including those to the north. 
Iran's recent accession to the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and its preferential trade deal with the Eura Eurasian Economic Union, backed by the International North-South Transport Corridor, are all newer additions to the situation on the ground. There is also a potential threat of a reimposition of sanctions if the Republicans take the White House again in the next US presidential election. Anyway, today we have a great panel of guests discussing the potential implications of the aforementioned changes in the situation for the IRI, including Bijan Khachipour of Eurasian Nexus Partners, Ralph Mamadov of the James Town Foundation, and Ruzba Aliabody of Global Growth Associates, all of which have experience in the current machinations of the region. We'll start off with uh, the political situation. How do uh, we find the situation on the ground and do we think they'll make it to the finishing line? Uh, do you want to start off, Bijan? Sure, thank you very much. Uh, it's great to be here and uh, I look forward to our discussion. So politically, I think we have to distinguish between what's happening internally in Iran. Uh, as we all know, since the election of President Raisi uh, and, and basically since the start of his administration in August, 2021, um, we have a situation in which the more hardline elements, the arch conservative elements within the Iranian political spectrum are the dominant forces. So we have to, when we, when we look at politics, we have to appreciate the, the internal dynamics and also when it comes to external uh, dynamics, especially the JCPOA negotiations, we have a completely different attitude uh, uh, towards uh, international relations. Uh, whereas the previous government was more interested in uh, uh, de-escalating with international powers and that way positioning itself internationally, this government and, and this factional orientation is more interested in, um, in better relations with the immediate neighbors, which by the way, will also have an impact on, on the trade relations that you discussed, uh, and then define itself internationally based on, um, on the regional uh, relations. And I think that's an important shift that we have witnessed. And that's why if you, so listen carefully to the to the discourse of the current government. The JCPOA negotiations for them is not about um, defining a new relationship with the world powers, but rather about getting rid of the sanctions, because these sanctions have obviously, as you said, hurt the Iranian economy, uh, and to an extent that it's clear that without the lifting of the sanctions the economic projections uh, and also the outlook for the economic development in the country uh, will be uh, negative. Uh, and, and so we have a political situation where there is a new approach or a new attitude towards international positioning, more focused on, on the immediate neighborhood, uh, but uh, at the same time, a desire uh, to get rid of the sanctions. And that means that, yes, Iran is interested politically, even with the current composition, interested in, in somehow finding a, a, a settlement in the, in the nuclear question so that the sanctions are lifted, but it's not necessarily interested in deepening ties with the uh, international powers, especially with the West. Yeah, I think what, sorry, sorry. What do you think about the chances being lifted of sanctions in the end of February? 
I think I think there is a realistic chance that these talks will lead to, to a result. I think the, the both sides, meaning Iran and the United States, understand that they have to compromise. But I think the big question, the big political question is whether both of them, Tehran and Washington, will manage to sell the compromise formula domestically when they are back at home. This is the big challenge. The challenge is not to, to sign the compromise in Vienna. I think everyone knows what the, what the main aspects are. But the big question for both of them is, can they sell it back at home? For Biden, it will be very difficult, um, especially because obviously a compromise will include um, giving some uh, incentives to Iran, whether they are financial or, or, or otherwise. Uh, and also for Tehran, the big question will be, why did the hardliners stop this compromise from happening a year ago when they were outside the government and why do they agree to it now? And, and uh, basically all the different political implications. Mm -hmm. I still uh, remain optimistic, but I think uh, the political processes will be challenging on both sides. Okay, Ralph, uh, how do you uh, envisage this to happen? Do you think it will happen from the regional uh, context of the, the broader Eurasian context? Well, I agree with Bijan that uh, there, is a, there is a tendency of Iran uh, leaning towards more regional cooperation. Uh, in, in energy, uh, in oil and gas, we see that clearly. For instance, despite the uh, rough start, the post-Karabakh war rough start between Iran and Azerbaijan, it was, uh, and with that all that you know, political back and forth uh, blame game, it was then quickly translated into uh, uh, a regional uh, agreement, actually trilateral agreement between Turkmenistan, Iran, and Azerbaijan, uh, which is actually is speculated uh, that uh, the uh, the contract not only will be expand uh, extended, but it will the volumes will be also um, increased. I'm I'm referring to that two billion cubic meter gas deal swap between Iran, Turkmenistan, and Azerbaijan. Um, uh, the, uh, the the government leading um, news agencies in Azerbaijan are reporting that uh, the negotiations are still ongoing to increase it to four BCM. So there is there is a clear sign, into, and I think the need for that stems from the from the facts that you have mentioned uh, because of how economy of the uh, of the country has been um, in troubles, uh, and oil and gas are constitutes a, a, a chunk of this economy. Um, when you look at the oil and gas, you see a huge underinvestment for last uh, 10 years. Uh, the resource replenishment hasn't happened, which is key uh, to sustain that production. And um, all this happened because of inconsistent policy towards Iran from the West, first of all, and uh, of course, the inherent uh, uh, change uh, developments within Iran as well. But uh, as a result, there's underinvestment. Um, the what what would happen in the scenario if uh, if we can discuss that if you want to if if the sanctions are lifted, uh, it will not be easy for United for Iran to expand. To increase the capacity to increase the, its exports uh, uh, fast, 
um, as it's being speculated on the on the on, on media and social media, uh, you know, we always underestimate the the important factor in oil and gas, which is the the lead times, the time needed for uh, for the investment to actually pay right. off. Raf, if I can jump in for a second, I mean, we, we want to get into oil and gas a bit deeper in a moment, but really the key question I'm interested in watching this process from the outside is, is are the sanctions coming off? I mean, how likely do you think that's to happen and, and what is needed to make that happen? Because I think here in Europe, everybody wants to see them go, that the, the Europeans were very excited about the business opportunity, obvious investors like Peugeot and what have you. And so they're pushing for it. And now Trump is gone and diplomacy is back in the form of Biden. And I think Biden is kind of interested as well because he's trying to get rid of problems uh, and this would be one. So what, what's your assessment? What, what needs to happen for these sanctions to come off? Do you think the Americans who are really the fly in the ointment in this whole deal, do, do you think they're gonna follow through and take the sanctions off? I think that's the, they wouldn't, they wouldn't sign up for such a, uh, Herculean task if they were not determined to do so. So yes, I believe that they are eager and they have all the resources to um, to accomplish this deal. Uh, and it's in their best interest to do it as soon as possible because uh, as Bijan mentioned, there will be repercussions mm. uh, and they would want to contain it before the midterm elections. Um, so uh, yes, there's, there, is a, there is a determination to reach to make the deal, there is a there is an urgency to do it as soon as possible, um, and, and I think you, that applies both of, both countries as well. Do you think it makes a difference? I mean, it was the Obama administration that that pushed this through. I mean, it was really his big feather in the cap. It was an incredibly uh, impressive piece of diplomacy to hammer out such a complicated and and, and fraught deal. And uh, you've got Biden who, uh, not, yeah, you've got Biden who comes from the Obama administration. Do you think that makes a difference in so much as does he not bring back the whole team that put the deal together in the first place who know this backwards? Well, it is certainly a continuation of Obama's policy, uh, but this and but the geopolitical circumstances are completely different. And I think mm. one of the one of the factors that everyone is underrating is the Russian factor here. Uh, in, in during the previous deal, Russia was a corner store of, of the JC, larger JCPOA deal. Remember, reset was happening back then. Uh, and uh, if you read the um, uh, the, the memoirs of ambassadors or people who worked there, uh, it was it was designed to do so. You know, to calm Russia that so that uh, they can deal with Iran on their own. Uh, here today, circumstances are different. So it's not just about the, uh, Biden's team. It's not just about the technocrats, but it is always added value when you have the, the same mentality and same the think or same mindset uh, in, in terms of the approach to the problem. Um, the Russian? Go ahead, Daniel. No, 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 no problem. Now I was going to pass on to Roosevelt because he's had a, a lot of uh, uh, regional expertise in recent years. So do you think uh, the Iranian manufacturing uh, the Iranian industry can respond to a change in the geopolitical situation, as in if the sanctions get removed. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I don't think so, not in the short run. First of all, I'm not too optimistic about a nuclear deal. I think what we're looking at is, uh, you know, the title of, I think this session is uh, JCPOA reboots, but I think the operating system's changed. 
you know, we're not in the 2015, uh, you know, era. So the idea behind this is not for us to go back to 2015. 2015, we were talking about a comprehensive deal. Number one, to take military option off the table. That was Obama's intention. And number two was investment in Iran. And take a look at the JCPOA, all the sunset provisions, hoping that through economic investments, Iran's attitude will change in the coming decade. However, things have changed dramatically today. You know, Iran has been growing in terms of its width, length, and depth of its nuclear program, but its economy has been shrinking. In fact, it has been predominantly going towards one dimension, military uh, and uh, security complex, very much similar to what we see in Russia today. The other portion is uh, corruption. If you look at the corruption in Iran in the past five years, it has increased immensely. You know, what was viewed uh, previously then as uh, core strength of Iran's economy today is turning it in, into its obstacles and challenges. You know, Iran's diversified economy, we talked about it, you know, its economy was very diverse and it was not just based on oil. Now what we're seeing is that diverse economy shrinking, either because manufacturing is being exported to places like China. And number two, scientific education. Sure, we knew that Iran produced as many engineers as the U U.S., but also we're having a big brain drain that is really, really impacting the broader, broader economy. The third one is consumer class. Sure, it's a double size of, uh, proportionally speaking, of China or Brazil, but that consumer spending is, has been going down due to inflation and deteriorating economic conditions. And then urban population, which is twice uh, as pro uh, proportionally to India, uh, but still, we see Iran's urban population is going on uh, feeling tremendous amount of downward uh, housing, uh, in a way, uh, pressure. But everything that was in Iran's favor is turning into, uh, in a way, I would put that in a challenge category uh, as we're dealing with Iran today. So I'm not as optimistic about the nuclear deal because back in the days in 2020, uh, 2015, we look at the deal as re reconnecting Iran's economy to the global economy. Today, we're somehow talking between breakthrough and breakdown of the nuclear deal, which the main beneficiary would be transactional beneficiaries in the short run. And I say short run, meaning the next two years, and maybe will be China, Russia, and to some extent, European firms. Do you think if, if, they, if they remove the sanctions, do you think the consumer class that you talk about would actually be able to respond to this? Or have they just been battered down so hard since Trump sanctions and the collapse of the real over 2018 onwards. Do you think they'll be able to even respond to that? Well, first of all, when we say removing of the sanctions, let's let's be very realistic. Under former President Trump, we had over 960 sanctions. Under President uh, Obama, we had over 655 sanctions. We're talking about 1,500 sanctions in place. Now, saying that uh, the Biden administration through executive orders will be lifting these sanctions from now till the end of first Biden term, assuming he's gonna be running for the second term, or until the uh, midterm elections in the US in November, th that is a politically impossible task. First of all, I don't see the likelihood of those sanctions being removed. That's number one. Number two, is today's Iran's uh, Iranian economy, look at the inflation rate. On average, first half of 2021, we were dealing with 42% inflation rates. We were also seeing the value of real has, has in a way, um, has been uh, cut by roughly around 50% in the past 24 months. So for that to come back, it takes a lot more. 
Also take a look at Iran's stock market today. Uh, any liquidity that went to Iran's stock market has been going downward. So right now, uh, com um, uh, consumer confidence, in a way, consumer expenditure has been going down in Iran dramatically because proportionally other costs such as food, utilities, and housing has been increasing in the past six months. Do you think China's uh, role in the economy is actually going to be uh, more significant? When I talk to every portfolio manager, because right now what we're talking about portfolio investments, should we see, will we see portfolio investment in Iran? Inflation is going up. A lot of managers are, uh, portfolio managers are looking for new opportunities. The answer is no. There are two big questions regarding Iran. What is this China deal? What's, what's in it? We don't know that. That's uncertainty. Again, portfolio managers are dealing with three U's in Iran. One is undervaluation. They love it. But then they're also dealing with uncertainty with the China deal and also Russia deal and unpredictability, which is a transition of uh, uh, political power in Iran, mm -hmm. particularly with the Supreme Leader in the coming year. So the answer is take a look at those three U's. That's the answer to your question. Bijan, can I ask you the same question? Uh, gladly. May I, may I just touch upon some of the points that have been made and then answer the question? Yeah, yeah sure. Um, uh, I agree with Ruzbeh that uh, we are not going to go back to the 2015 deal. It's, it's just easy to say we are reviving the nuclear deal, but it's not going to be that deal for various reasons. Also, from a technological point of view, the nuclear developments in Iran that cannot be undone uh, means that the, whatever they agree on will be at best some sort of an addendum to the original deal, not necessarily a return to the deal. This is important to understand. And that's why when we talk about um, lifting sanctions, um, the, the original US position was to lift the nuclear related sanctions. As Roosevelt said during the Trump years, the US intentionally introduced other sanctions to make it difficult to remove the nuclear-related sanctions. Yeah, including automotive and everything automotive, else. But yeah. also, for example, the Central Bank of Iran mm. is sanctioned on multiple grounds. Even if you remove one, the other ones will be in place. And for that, uh, to lift some of those sanctions, which Iran obviously is, is very interested in, Biden will need the Congress. And that's what I meant. Can he go back? Uh, and, and sell the deal and, and get the support of Congress with the current situation in, in the US. So there, there are certainly uh, political challenges. But a couple of other points, uh, uh, Ralph made a good point about underinvestment. I, I think underinvestment is a phenomenon, not only in the oil and gas sector, but generally uh, across the sectors, also in infrastructure and so on. But that connects me to uh, to uh, one of uh, Daniel's first questions. Uh, what if sanctions are lifted? What if Iran can actually um, repatriate about $100 billion of assets that are now stranded on international banks because of US sanctions? What if the outcome of these negotiations is a period in which Iran can re re return this money uh, and at the same time increase oil exports? I will come back to that in a minute. Um, that $100 billion, if it's returned, and, and I agree with the element of corruption and mismanagement, all of them are there. But I'm, we, I'm just uh, playing a scenario. Assume they sign an agreement and Iran can repatriate its, its hard currency assets. 
then that money theoretically could fill it, fill some of these gaps. Because these are the gaps, infrastructure investments, sectoral investments, uh, huge debts of the government to the banking sector, especially to the central bank, that are causing all the problems, whether it's inflation or unemployment and so on. So if that money is re-injected and there, there is a momentum in Iran, then some of the issues that we are facing right now will be resolved. But there is a big if because it has to also be managed. It has to also, that's why Iran keeps saying we need to verify. They want verifications that the lifting of sanctions will equate a, a transfer of money from outside back to Iran. Because even under Obama, after the first implementation of the JCPOA, there were banking problems because of FATF, because of other uh, issues that were there. So, uh, first of all, not all the sanctions will be lifted. Secondly, if they are lifted, there will be operational and political challenges. But if everything goes well, and especially Iranian funds are returned and injected into the sectors that need investment right now, then we will see a completely different dynamics. But it's a big if, and it has to start with, with some sort of an agreement. Mm -hmm. Not to, to, to the China question, uh, the, I, I agree with Ruzbe, there is a lot of ambiguity. Um, and and uh, uh, in my view, the, the big question for the next uh, decade in Iran is not how much China or Russia or others will invest in Iran, but the question on whether Iran will use this, this crisis in a way, the economic crisis, to improve its own efficiency. You don't need Chinese uh, investments for a number of sectors in Iran. You need to improve management and, and efficiency, whether it's energy efficiency, governance efficiency, and so on. And that, that push is there. The, the need for non-oil exports, the need to uh, develop new industries uh, is there. And the realization is there that they need um, to improve efficiency uh, realities. But what is missing, uh, and that could partly be achieved through some sort of a de-escalation, is certainty. When we talk about the value of the real to the industrialists in Iran, the exchange rate is not that important. The stability is important. They mm -hmm. want to know that it's going to be stable for the next few years. And when we look at the first Rouhani term, it's very interesting. The biggest achievement was the relative stability of the exchange rate. Later, we realized that it was kept artificially. But that relative stability gave a, a momentum to the Iranian industry. If they Jean, while, while we're talking about this, I have a question here from David Eddick, uh, one of the listeners, um, and he's asking specifically, and I'm interested too, what is, could you characterize, and to the other panelists as well, the, um, the economic and political relationships of, of uh, China in particular, which has been investing heavily across our region, and <laughs> Russia as well, which also has an interest in there. I mean, they're, they're doing it for geopolitical purposes, but uh, it's also become a major source of funds uh, it's in, a across the Eurasian. Indeed, and, and it's easy money and it's tempting and it's actually starting to cause problems. But could you specifically characterize the relationships of China, the role of it uh, in Iran and, and how you think that might play out? And to the other panelists too, if you want to comment. Okay. Please go ahead. Um, First of all, China-Iran relationship, um, I, I do believe that um, there are um, economic sectors where 
um, the Iranian stakeholders in general um, really believe that China has solutions to offer to Iran and, and it, for example, transport infrastructure, railroads, et cetera, et cetera. But there are also a number of sectors where the Iranian stakeholders um, are not as, as happy to, to see Chinese investments. And that one of these sectors is oil and gas, even though uh, they have awarded projects to Chinese investors. But the Iran-China relationship, in my view, uh, was the fact was born out of the fact that Iran didn't have much choices. Uh, if Iran would have had the choice of, of working with, inter with Western investors and-, and uh, Yeah, they always preferred the Germans to the Chinese, we all, yeah, yeah. yeah, in all the I exhibitions. Said, are, I can tell you that there are, in the meantime, there are sectors where the Chinese uh, companies are preferred partners, but it, some of the strategic sectors, uh, you know, Iran mainly relies on Western technology and and in the absence of China uh, or, or Russian investors, the, the push will be to, to develop Iranian solutions, but again, leaning towards Western knowledge, Western technology through cooperation with Western universities or maybe the Iranian diaspora. So Iran-China um, economic and political relations are really Iran's uh, response or are the consequence of the sanctions mm -hmm. policies of the past two decades. Mm -hmm. Iran-Russia is different. Russia for Iran was always the country where Iran could secure the technologies that even China wouldn't sell to Iran. Arms, nuclear technology mm -hmm. and, and others. And, and so Iran-Russia, and we have to uh, remember Russia is the only superpower that actually borders Iran. So Iran's relationship with, uh, uh, with Russia was driven out of uh, two elements. One, obviously the security element and, and obviously security of a number of regions that have been enhanced, the geopolitical aspects that Ralph was talking about come in here, whether it's Syria or, or other states, but also Caspian, Caucasus, Central Asia, mm -hmm. but also out of the fact that Russia did sell technologies to Iran that no one else was selling. And, and that creates loyalty and commitment, and that is there. The new relationship, and that's something that Western governments have to realize, the new deeper relationship between Iran and Russia is also consolidated because both nations, both countries are sanctioned. When you sanction and stop European food exports to Russia, it's clear that Iranian food exports will come in and, and fill some of the gap yeah. and in other sectors. So uh, can I just jump in with Ralph there because he's uh, uh, oil and gas for uh, the Transcaucasian area. So he's probably a good one to uh, answer that question, to jump on that question as well. Sorry, sorry, Bijan. In terms of China, China was the, was the straw that uh, Iran hold on to when there was sanctions in place. Remember, if it wasn't for China, Iran, couldn't export that 500,000 barrels uh, per day, uh, which basically saved the Iranian economy throughout that process, throughout that uh, uh, term. Uh, in, in terms of Chinese and Russian investments in oil and gas, there has been a lot of talk, but uh, unfortunately for Iranians, neither Russia nor Chinese uh, haven't walked the walk and, and for different reasons. Uh, as as Bijan mentioned, in some areas, especially in 
in very complicated oil and gas development, and I'm talking about um, exploration and development, uh, China doesn't have the technology to do so. Uh, I'm referring to uh, the South Pars, uh, North Dome uh, gas field. I'm referring to uh, the, the, the oil, oil fields um, or, uh, and, and, and other aspects. Russia neither uh, has that capacity to, to develop these uh, deep water uh, fields in, in, in the ocean. However, uh, Russia has the expertise and, the, and, uh, and they have made some pledges that they will make the investment. But when you look at the statements made by Iranian officials and Russian officials in respect to those statements, you see a huge gap between them. Uh, Iranian officials are usually talking about the pledged numbers or discussed numbers as guaranteed numbers. Whereas when you look at the actual numbers, you don't see those investments. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think, Yes, the, if uh, to to Bijan's point in respect to um, you know availability of those funds of of the that will be released from the sanctions and investments those funds into oil and gas, it, yes, that's possible and it's big numbers. I mean, hundreds of billions of dollars are big numbers even for the oil and gas. But again, uh, it will take uh, two to three years to revamp the production. Because again, this investment has it's leading time in oil and yeah. gas business. We've got one question from David Hogan here saying the underlying problem for oil and gas investors is that the rate of return under the buyback is insufficient given the risks. When will Iran address this problem, Ralph? How do you how do you respond to that? Well, if I was Tehran, and I think I, I see that uh, the tendency in the region as well, um, you know. It, there is big focus paid on the gas and natural gas production and export. And, and most of these decisions are also stem from the, the current situation in the oil and gas sector and in overall in energy industry. There is that transition to less uh, evil uh, fossil fuels and gas is becoming the center stage of it. And Iran with its access to the oceans and, uh, and the trade relations between between the buyers, you know, main buyers of the uh, of the gas, Iran has the potential to um, to uh, to become a player, and and I think they will try to if when if these sanctions are relieved, they will try to leverage that. Uh, but again, it will take some time. Uh, in terms of the the return of the investments, for for Iran, I don't expect in a short term liberalization of the market. I don't expect. Um, you believe it's going to be state-owned and state-controlled still for a long while? But as we see in, in the neighboring countries as well, there will be either production sharing agreements or joint ventures created uh, by, the, uh, by, the, uh, by the foreign partners. I do agree that European partners are, are preferred because of the, uh, of the quality of the job they're doing and because of, of the previous relationship. And the usual suspects here in the Germans or French Total was uh, was in the South Pars and together with CNPC. So we're expecting them to come back and also BP, which was actually uh, started in Iran, uh, has you know, uh, which is actually more, um, which is in present in the region. Uh, for instance, in Azerbaijan, uh, we expect them uh, you know to be uh, more interested in this project. But overall, they will face the same questions that any other oil and gas company face at the moment, which is not 
specific to Iran, but more specific to the industry. And, and, and the main challenge here is the volatility of the overall oil and gas industry. Daniel, can I make a comment on the... Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Um, just first of all, there is no more buyback. The Iranians have changed the, uh, the contractual framework. It's not necessarily much better, but just for years, it's called Iran Petroleum Contract. And Iran Petroleum Contract, even if they go move towards production sharing, the attitude in Iran will be, they are not going to offer uh, a, a huge uh, upside on the upstream side, but they're going to encourage whoever comes forward. Um, and uh, I don't think big names, I don't see BP in Iran, but I, I do see some of the medium sized companies come in. They, th what they will encourage these companies to do is to go into a, into an integrated project and then make the profit on the downstream side. The Iran is pushing towards greater downstream uh, capacity. The reason being, if another Trump comes in a few years and, and, and puts more pressure on Iran in terms of exporting crude oil, they wanna to get to a point where they don't export crude oil anymore. And once you export pe petroleum products, you can export more easily, especially to the neighboring countries. Mm -hmm. And the sanctions will be less of an impediment. It's important to understand. So when you look at the Iranian petroleum sector over the next decade, the main projects for international companies will be integrated projects where they you either produce oil and gas. And uh, are they going to update the Iran petroleum contract? Because I remember last time when they first in, uh, introduced it, it was... Uh, uh, a nightmare for all involved because everybody was arguing over it. I mean, uh, they, they, there is definitely a certain degree of pragmatism and they need the investment, but obviously it will be a, another political process that they have to go through. The desire is there, as I said, to, to attract investment and also especially to attract investment in a way that Iran can, can get to a point of only exporting petroleum products mm -hmm. and that they can get there. I mean, the, the, the regional markets are there, um, the geography is there, the expertise is there, but the investment is, is lacking. Yeah, go on. Yeah, that is also what Bijan mentioned is, uh, is completely true. And uh, we have seen the pattern of Iran investing in, in domestic a refinery and petrochemicals uh, to 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 minimize to contain the damage inflicted with sanctions but that is also driven it's it's driven from that fear that the sanctions may come back but it's also driven by the the uh, the reality in the oil and gas industry which is actually shifting from the crude to more uh ready materials to petrochemicals so there's there's this uh good reading of the global market in iran and uh, I think that that will be, uh, we, this is happening in every uh, international or national oil company. And that's what probably Iran do. So Roosevelt, you've worked with Chinese and other uh, investors over the years. Uh, how do you find that the potentials for further direct investment from foreign companies? Uh, well, thanks so much. I see lots of great questions, by the way, in the chat. So those those questions are great. I love I love to make sure we get to some of those questions. But uh, to answer your question is, is we don't know because today the question is um, does China look at Iran as an investment opportunity, or does it looking uh, does it look at Iran as countering U.S. influence in West Asia? And my answer for the moment is the latter. 
you know, they're looking more at Iran as a leveraging point to counter U.S. influence in the region. Let me give you a few examples of it. So you know, since 2010, there are three major companies from China that tried uh, that came to Iran. By the way, those companies were part of China's PLA and um, uh, defense uh, apparatus of the Chinese government, such as CATIC, such as AVIC, such as China Precision and China Railway Engineering Corporations. And if you look at all these projects across the board from high-speed railway to investment in Iran's uh, uh, petrochemical, there was not a penny of investment that came to Iran. What came to Iran was part of the uh, block, Iranian block money in China that came back with the interest rate. So if old you money again. See if, indeed. And if you want to see if the Chinese are very serious about investing in, in Iran, don't look, at it, don't look at what they say. Look at what they do and take a look at the bilateral trade insurance between Iran and China. It has not been growing at all. The bilateral trade insurance between and China stands at $670 million per year as of today's dollars. That is a very, very tiny money. That means that hasn't been growing. So we don't see that. So that insurance uh, factor with Sinoshore um, is, is, a, is, a, is a very important factor. What we see with the Chinese in Iran, however, beyond their countering the, uh, the, the American influence in West Asia, not just Middle East, broader West Asia, is uh, telecom. Chinese are looking into getting into places such as Syria, Iraq, through Iran. For example, look at ICT. Iran does not have a viable ICT sector by itself. What the Chinese are doing with their 5G also with their infrastructure, with, with companies such as Huawei, not only they've entered Iran, but using Iran to enter the Syrian market. Chinese have also done the same thing in the auto sector. Chinese have been using Iran's auto parts yeah. manufacturing sectors and also, in a way, export capacity to export Chinese cars and vehicles to, um, uh, to Iraq. That is growing. They are doing it right now in Syria, and we foresee, uh, we believe that will be growing in the coming years. Just look at how the Chinese have strategically kicked out the French Europeans in general to take over broader auto sector in Iran. Yeah, there's about That's 12 to 13 Chinese auto brands last time I counted in Tehran. I mean, indeed. And just take a look at all the Chinese cars being driven in Tehran. Correct. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Right. So we're going to get uh, we're getting, coming to the end of it. So we're going to have one last round of questions, which is going to be on the Iran's role in this greater Eurasian project and potential for Tehran to be gobbled up into some giant Russian um, led economic block. Um, there is fears that from some in Tehran that, that that's going to happen. But, you know, how do you all see it? Who wants to lead with that one? Ralph, do you want to lead with that one? With your expert north of the border? Um, I, I don't see, first of all, I think, I think Russia's uh, economic sphere and influence is is overrated in the region although it's it is bigger than the regional countries most of them but uh, I think it's overrated um, I think when we look at Russian Iranian relationship from my perspective from oil and gas perspective I also look at them as a <clears throat> competitors and what we haven't discussed today I wanted to touch up on that um, when or if uh, this there's a sanction relief uh, Iran will become uh, gradually, not 
uh, directly, but will become a huge threat to Russian oil and gas interests in the country. And do you think they may uh, make a southern gas line to Europe to avoid that? Do you think there could be direct competition if that ever happens? Or do you think Russia is going to stop it like they probably stopped it before? Uh, stopped what? Russia, Russia has I mean, it, it, an alternative southern gas pipeline to Europe. The pipeline is alternative southern gas corridor or alternative? To yeah, a gas corridor from like Iran, from but South Pars, going to Azerbaijan and so forth. Gas corridor is already there and its capacity is, its throughput capacity is scalable, which means it can be expanded four to six times in a very short period of time. It's, it's, it's more political issue whether it will be agreement uh, between Iran and the consortium members to enter it. But uh, so far, the we see that proclivity, that tendency that Iran is for the deal. And also have to bear in mind that despite the sanctions, Iranian company remained in the uh, in the in the consortiums in Azerbaijan that the gas producing Chardonnay's was it? Yes. Which yeah. is actually which is actually supplying the gas the field, not the face. The field is supplying gas to Europe. So uh, there, there is there is that possibility. There is the potential. The only shortcoming is that Iran's oil and gas assets are in the southwest of the country. And uh, the infrastructure connecting Iran to the north, potential infrastructure. First of all, there is no infrastructure. I mean, all the infrastructure is outdated. There is infrastructure because there is an oil and gas pipeline running from Iran to Turkey, but you know, it has to be expanded. The new one has to be built. It will take some time to build that uh, uh, infrastructure. Uh, but, uh, you know, it can be done and it's just a matter of two, three years and Russia will, of course, see that as a threat. Uh, but my point was that I, I look at it as a, from more like a game theory perspective, whether Russia and Iran will look at it as a zero sum approach or whether they will come up with the, with the common denominator and uh, will look at it as a, as a, as a, as a joint collaboration. Uh, but in by default, they are they are rivals. They are comparisons, and not only Russia, by the way. This also will affect affect uh, the oil exports. This will affect the OPEC dynamics, which is Iran, the founding member of, and also it will affect Saudi Arabia, which is uh, one of the largest suppliers of oil to China and India, and which is already in competition with with Russia uh, to for the market share. And uh, this will, you know, they, they see that coming from Iran as well, because Iran is, is the only country in that region who can, who has the resources to compete with them. Ruzbe, have you got anything to add? No, the only thing is I, I wanted to say that when we talk about uh, just JCPOA breakthrough or breakdown, uh, we also have to look at uh, portfolio investment. This is really important. I think regardless of what's going to happen, whether we see a breakthrough or, uh, or a breakdown, we will also see capital flight from Iran. And um, bear with me, I'm not a pessimist, but I'm just realistically saying we're going to see growth in uh, housing or demand for housing, particularly in Turkey. So we saw in the past two, two or three years, about 6.2, 6.3 billion, we don't know exact, the exact amount, has uh, moved from Iran from consumer portfolio into the Turkish market. 
we, I, uh, we believe that we will see more of that in the coming years, not because Iran's economy is going to be doing good or bad. It's just because in, uh, consumers wanted to make sure that they shift. So if, uh, you know, uh, some portfolio managers told me that they're interested in open, uh, um, uh, thinking about a euro bond in, in the context of Turkey, because there's going to be a lot of Iranian buyers for it. And I think so too. But then the second portion of it is, um, I would argue that in Iran, if the sanctions are lifted in any shape or form, just slightly, uh, Iran has by far one of the best petrochemical in terms of cost and competitiveness petrochemical industry. Look at the uh, feedstock with Iran, cheapest in the market. So that would be an area for growth. I would not recommend any startup beyond Series B to Series C in Iran. Answer is simple. Once you get beyond Series A, there are big um, uh, governmental organizations that will probably, if you don't cooperate with them, take take over the investment. So anything in Series A, maybe Series B would be a good investment, particularly in Iran's telehealth. And uh, there was a section about banking. And I think this is really, really, uh, or a question about banking. And I want to mention this. Regardless of the breakthrough or breakdown, Iran's banking sector will go through some sort of a recapitalization. And that recapitalization needs to adjust itself with generally accepted accounting principle with gap standards. And we will see a major market corrections in Iran's bad debt. So anything if, uh, if, uh, if to happen after the deal, the short-term deal, would be a recapitalization of Iran's banking sector to some extent. And, and I think it, it's going to have huge opportunities, but also very big ramifications. Bijan. How do you see the moving forward? Well, how are we going to move the yeah. economy forward? Um, so let's look at, I mean, I, I briefly looked at the scenario, at the sort of optimistic scenario. If, if they agree, uh, the money comes back and there will be a new dynamics, still a lot of impediments, but still, I, I would say, a positive uh, move forward, especially because Iran has, has created a lot of domestic capacity over the past few years. Uh, in fact, in my view, uh, in, the, in the last phase of negotiations, 2013 to 2015, Iran wanted to get rid of the sanctions to be able to import what it needs and also attract investment. This time, one of the desires is to be able to export more because they have built the capacity, especially export more to the region including petrochemicals that, that Ruzbe mentioned. I think, and, and this is one point about gas. I agree with Rauf that uh, Iran is the only country that has the gas resources to compete with Russia uh, on a large scale. But Iranian gas doesn't have to go to Europe in the form of gas. It can also yeah, go to Europe energy. in the form of gas-based industries, petrochemicals, aluminum, steel, et cetera, et cetera, especially because Europe has to drive back some of its capacity because of climate change obligations. So it's also, don't always look at the primary uh, product, also look at some of the downstream products, especially petrochemicals. But can let's, I, can I, let's- I was, gonna, I was gonna follow up on that. I mean, if the sanctions remain, which remains a real possibility, um, then what are the non-hydrocarbon uh, sectors that, that uh, Iran can capitalize on in order to export to make money? And then petrochemicals surely is, is, is one of them, no? Yeah, I, I was actually going to answer that question right now. But uh, <laughs> the, the, there are a number of sectors. Obviously, the, the most uh, 
feasible markets, export markets for Iran are regional markets. And, and the regional markets are also sizable. We, we sometimes forget about the fact that Pakistan is also a neighbor of Iran, Central Asia, obviously Iraq, Turkey, and so on. Now, when we look at what Iran is exporting to the region, then the top uh, sector is actually the food sector. And food sector is also, even if sanctions remain, is actually not sanctioned. So if they manage some of the banking related issues in, in, in exporting food, food can be an, a big player. And also talking about Iran's relations with the uh, Eurasian Economic uh, Union, again, food exports from Iran are, are uh, an important element in that process. So I would say the food sector, then I would say anything that relies on gas, gas-based industries. Right now, I, I jokingly always say the football stadiums in Qatar were all built with Iranian cement over the past few years. Uh, and, and, and Iranian cement is going to all the different countries in the region. So gas-based industries, food, there are a number of other areas Ruzbe, I, I, I don't know, Ruzbe or Ralph mentioned telecom. I mean, telecom, uh, sometimes we forget what a huge market Iran is itself, but the fact that because of sanctions, Iranian telecom companies had to develop solutions for the Iranian market means that, that some of these solutions uh, can actually be exported again to the region. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the economy is diverse. Uh, it has built capacity. But obviously, it will need investments and, 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 and a better banking and insurance and generally financial backbone. And, and those could mainly emerge if the sanctions are lifted. If they are not lifted, there will be a lot of challenges. Quick question. We've got one in here from Bjorn. Are rare minerals to become a large export potential for Iran? Who would like to answer that one? Uh, it's, the rare minerals are already being developed. Uh, but there, the, generally, the mining sector has a lot of potential in Iran. But what I've heard from a lot of uh, players in that market is that it will require, it's, it's again, we come back to Ralph's uh, statement of underinvestment. There is a huge need for investment. So if the doors open and international mining companies come into I Iran, yes. If not, it will not be a sector that Iran can develop out of its own resources. Okay. Um, I want to say thank you to everybody uh, who's uh, come along and especially our speakers. Uh, is there any more questions from anybody? Any more final points you want to add? Ben, have we got any more interjections on the chat box? No, no I think we're done. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to thank everyone for participating, especially those out in internet land who are listening uh, to the panel. Extremely interesting discussion and obviously Iran's story is going to continue to play out. We need to see some resolution to lifting of the sanctions, which hopefully will come very soon. And after that, um, we'll come back and throw our resources at it because to see the development. I also want to point you to um, our website. Um, please go to intellinews.com slash welcome. There you'll find uh, various links that you'll find useful to this uh, discussion will be streamed and recorded on YouTube. You can find a link to our BNE Intelligence YouTube channel um, on that page. Um, you can also, if you're interested in following Iran more more closely, then um, we have on our premium service Pro, the BNE Intelligence Pro, 
uh, a daily news service where we report all the news going on in Iran um, and across the entire Eurasian region, so you can keep up with that. You're welcome to take a two-week free trial to that, so you can see it in detail. And you can also sign up for alerts for upcoming webinars and podcasts. With that, I'd like to say thanks to everyone once again, and see you next time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks, everybody.